Coming up on Philosophy Talk. What makes something scientific? We could think of science as a strategy, a particular focused way of trying to organize our investigation of the world. What's the difference between science and non-science? Everyone brings their ideas into contact with experience in a routine way much of the time. You know, it's just ordinary life. But it is more of a definite choice to take the sort of biggest, most ambitious and basic things you believe and try to bring them into contact with experience. Try to ask the question, what would be different about what I experienced if this idea was true as opposed to this idea being false? Questioning the Assumptions of Science. Our guest is Peter Godfrey Smith from Harvard University. We should think of science as something that was really sort of discovered quite recently and then exploded. Is scientific knowledge always a good thing? The Philosophy of Science. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local innovative public radio for San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And from that oasis of thought, we migrate to the air via this oasis of radio and our ever-growing number of affiliates. And from there, we migrate to the internet via our blog, the blog.philosophytalk.org, where this conversation will continue. It's already begun. Peter Godfrey Smith, our guest, has weighed in. And we've got a new thing going now. We're going to start. We're joining the podcast revolution. If you go to our blog or to our webpage, you can, uh, there's a link there that'll take you to our podcast. You need iTunes. If you already have it, you're fine. If you don't, you need to, you need to download it for free. Podcasting, yet yet another gift given to us by science, engineering, and all of that wonderful stuff. And probably another thing that will have all kinds of unanticipated consequences. People riveted to our discussion on Philosophy Talk will have accidents because they're not paying attention. Probably podcasting will make radio obsolete and all the superannuated hippies here at KALW will be out on the bread lines. Science is a double-edged sword, Ken. Well, that's true. It's a double-edged sword. Everything is a double-edged sword. There are no unmixed blessings. Science is a very impactful thing, no doubt about it, and some of the impacts are grand and some are not so grand. I think they're mostly grand myself. Well, as philosophers, Ken, we have a lot of responsibility with science because philosophy is the queen of the sciences. It's our job to sit up on top of the science, on top of the pyramid of knowledge, and adjudicate between good methods and bad methods, important stuff and non-important stuff. Don't you think yeah, that's right? you will queen you john i mean there's the i mean that's a certainly an ancient conception of science in the ancient world i kind of tend more to a lockean vision john locke said he was an under laborer for the sciences kind of clearing away the conceptual detritus that gets in the way of clear understanding and scientific progress that seems more i don't know seems more right to me conceptual detritus wow now that is a ten dollar word ken i'm i'm really impressed i mean you must have picked that up on your sabbatical uh, I can okay. I can go with the under labor thing. That probably makes more sense. Uh, it seems to me philosophy comes in in a couple of ways. Lots of times, the concepts we use to deal with things are really too confused before philosophers clarify them a bit to really let science get started. And sometimes uh, scientists get themselves into conceptual messes too. 
Yeah, that's that's right. And then there's there's this thing. I mean, if you think, what does philosophy have to do with science? Philosophy takes science as a partner, as an object of study itself, as a philosophical object, an object of philosophical investigation. And then it's this big, complex, social, cultural thing that makes all these differences. You were talking about podcasting, but you know, think of evolution and the overthrow of religion. And science asks, and philosophy asks, is that good? Is that bad? Is that indifferent? I mean, uh, you know, what's the value of science? Yeah, I must admit, I'm kind of a grouch when people say. What has science done for you lately? My mind goes to yeah. What what invention have you figured out to blow us up, or what project to spend all of our money getting to some place in the universe that no one really needs well, to go? Well, you know that question. What has science done to uh, done for us lately? That's a question that Polly Stryker, a roving philosophical reporter, put to a number of people. She files this report. Science has given us thrilling discoveries, but it also has a dark side. I wondered what science has really done for us. I think many of us would not be alive today if it weren't for science. I certainly had a staphylococcus infection when I was in my 20s and would not have survived that without antibiotics. Jim Gray is technical fellow at the Microsoft Bay Area Research Center. He works to get all scientific data online. Before he turned to science, he was a philosophy major. I think science indeed does have a sort of Faustian bargain that we make. Nuclear power has brought us nuclear weapons. All of this ability to communicate has taken away uh, privacy and free time. I asked Jim about the limitations of science. One of the things that's perhaps disappointing is that science can't give your life meaning. And many people are really quite troubled by, well, why are we here? Um, What's the purpose of my life? So far, I believe science hasn't done a very good job of answering that. In fact, it's quite likely it can't answer that. The current answers that are coming back is, it's random. So is the scientific method the product of any particular culture? I don't think it's unique to our culture. One can look almost at any culture and see how they've had to deal with their environment. There's a a whole section of New Guinea which was isolated from the rest of the world for a good long time. The people um, in that culture had built a very, very successful agricultural plan, and I would be perfectly happy to call that science. I decided to ask a Buddhist monk about science from his perspective. I tell my students not to believe what I tell them. I'm asking them to check for themselves uh, whether or not what I say or what, what I say Buddha says works for them. In a small way, you might say that that's a scientific method. Kelsang Tekchog became a monk in 2000. In a past life, he worked in the pharmaceutical industry. He holds a PhD in molecular biology. We can't ever hope to think that we're going to be in a position to have cured all diseases. As we cure one disease, then another disease will crop up. Buddhist philosophy would have us look more closely and more deeply to the root causes, and there would be karmic causes. For example, in a city that is virtually wiped out by disease, there's remarkably some few people that that don't get the disease, or some people in history who work with sick people but don't get the disease themselves. You know, we would look at them and say, well, they are a scientific marvel. But a Buddhist would just say that they did not have the the karma to get the disease. Then I tracked down Robert Proctor, 
a historian of science at Stanford, to hear his thoughts on what the science of the Western Enlightenment has done for us. In the 17th century, the Westerners were still denying that stones could fall from the sky because they had this limited notion of the universe where there was the perfect celestial sphere and then the corruptible terrestrial sphere. So obviously a stone couldn't fall from heaven. Whereas in China, where they didn't make this distinction between a celestial and a terrestrial sphere, they completely were familiar with meteorites. We shouldn't exaggerate our own scientific culture either. After all, uh, less than half of Americans realize that we even evolved from uh, pre-human forms and that we share a common ancestry with everything uh, alive on the planet. He also had something to say about the dark side of modern science. We tend to think of the Nazi regime, for example, as anti-science, but in fact it was arguably the most uh, scientific culture in the world at that time. They were the ones who discovered that uh, smoking causes lung cancer. They're the ones who discovered that asbestos causes uh, mesothelioma. So here you have the world's most powerful scientific culture actually promoting a revolution, this Nazi revolution that ended up killing millions of people. And scientists were complicit at each stage of that action. At the intersection of science and philosophy, I'm Polly Stryker for Philosophy Talk. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.